0: I'm Debbie Gabara and I'm the gathering pastors assistant here at The River Church. Thanks for checking out one of our messages today. We would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way to do that is to text River Connect one word to 97000 or you can visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and our upcoming events. If you'd like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can visit our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Let's get to Matthew chapter number 5. We picked up last week again on the Sermon on the Mount, and so we're going to look at verses uh, number 14. Uh, 15 and 16 this morning, but before we jump there, let's go back to verse number 1 and verse number 2 and kind of see the setting here. The Bible says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them. And so here's Jesus sitting in the position of authority, the position of a serious uh, teaching that Jesus is about to give. And he's on a mountain, and that's where we come up with the name, the Sermon on the Mount. And so we don't know which mountain it was, but somewhere near the Sea of Galilee, Jesus sat down and began to instruct his disciples. The crowds came as well. And I've mentioned this several times, and I probably will mention it many more times, but the, the, the primary audience of Jesus' teaching here is the disciples, is his students, is his followers. The crowd was there. The crowd was very fickle. They were there for a variety of different motives. But nonetheless, the crowd was there. And also, some of Jesus' opponents were there as well. So that would be the religious leaders. They were uh, hanging about uh, as well. And so Jesus sits down, and he begins to teach and the Sermon on the Mount from verse 3 down to verse 11 begins with the Beatitudes or the Blesseds, and he, Jesus walks through those different things. And so verse 13, we looked at last week. You are the salt of the earth. Now let's look at verse number 14. Jesus continues to speak here, and he looks at his followers and he says to them, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill... Cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Here Jesus is looking at his students, he's looking at his disciples, he's looking at his followers. In this moment, but also through the writing of the word of God, so through the the gospel writer Matthew here, he's looking at you and he's looking at me. He's looking at young men and young women. He's looking at older folks who have said, I am a follower of Christ. I have repented of my sin. I've turned from my sin and I have turned to Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life I've publicly declared that in the waters of baptism. And so people know that I'm a follower of Christ. And so Jesus is now looking at you. And he's looking at me. And he's saying, you are the light, not just of a small region. One commentator pointed it out. Not the light of the church. He's saying, but you are the light of the world. You see, the reality is the world is in darkness. Moral depravity runs rampant, and the world becomes darker and more confused. The New Testament says evil men will grow or wax worse and worse and worse. And so the world is in darkness. Leon Morris says it this way the world is in darkness despite its continuing claims to be. Enlightened. Like the world would say, we're enlightened and we're growing and we're becoming more aware of things, whereas the scripture would say the opposite. The, the, world, the scripture would declare the world is becoming more and more depraved, more and more dark. I want you to hold your spot in Matthew and I want you to go to the right to the Gospel of John. John chapter number three. And this idea of light. And dark is kind of a theme throughout all of the scripture. You'll find it in the Old Testament. You'll find it several times in the New Testament as an illustration because we all understand as humans the idea of light and dark. This morning, when my alarm went off at five o'clock, I hopped out of bed. I woke up to Stevie Wonder this morning at five and I. Turned it off, and uh, once that phone clicked off, my room was pitch black. Now, I have been in my room tens of thousands of times, right? And, but it doesn't matter. I still cannot figure out where the post of the bed is, where the armor is, where the door is, where the rail is. I have almost headbutted the door frame going into the restroom many times, right? So we all understand what it means to walk in the dark, to live in the dark, to operate in the dark. Even in familiar territory, but when the light turns on, things are illuminated. It's the same with spiritual things. In John chapter 3, in verse number 16, very famous verse, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, or one of, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Excuse me. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the son, excuse me, uh, in the name of the only son of God. So there it is. Believe in the son and have salvation. Don't believe in the son and you stand Here's the spiritual reality condemned by God. Verse 19, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. So Jesus would claim to be, Jesus would declare himself to be later on in the gospel of John, John chapter 8 verse 12, he would say, I am the light of the world. And so Jesus steps into the darkness, the spiritual darkness of this world so here it is. The judgment is that the light, Christ, has come into the world. But people, the scripture says here, loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So the world loves darkness because it. They believe, the world believes that it conceals their deeds. They love darkness because it's in the darkness, often the darkness of night, the literal darkness of night, that those deeds are done. Well, here's the truth. You and I, before Christ illuminated our eyes, before he illuminated the truth of the gospel into our hearts, we also loved darkness. We also loved the deeds of evil. The Bible goes on to say, in Romans chapter 13 and verse 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness. So not only did we love darkness, our works were of the darkness. And then Ephesians 5, 8 says, for at one time you were darkness. And so here is this kind of this illustration that we all would begin to grasp as humans This idea of walking in the light and seeing reality, seeing truth, or being in the dark. Maybe you can remember as a a young man or a young woman, maybe there's a point in your life right now where you need darkness to conceal what you're doing. Darkness to conceal behavior, darkness to conceal from your wife or from your husband or from your kids or from your boss the way that you're living. You need darkness to conceal those things, and so there's that darkness, but then there's also the darkness of those deeds. I remember years ago in middle school, we went to summer camp in Canada, and it was uh, the worst camp I've ever been to in my entire life, and I'm not... I don't say that because it was in Canada, but uh, it was just a terrible, terrible camp. And so we basically went there and worked for an entire week. So usually summer camp is a lot of fun. This was like going to prison, I think, for the week. But uh, anyways, so I don't think any of you were there. But if you talk to some of my friends who were there, it was, that's what it felt like. And so we, we went to this camp. And so the only time you could do anything fun was at night. So you would work all day splitting wood and chopping wood, and then, as a reward, you got to ride a horse for about thirty minutes. Which, as a middle school boy, was not what I wanted to be doing with my free time. And so, uh, so at night we would just we would just do stupid stuff. And so I remember, and this is in- interesting. I don't even know if my kids know this. My leader that week for camp was Roy Townsend, our grow pastor. And so his bunk was below mine. He was probably eighteen or nineteen and i was in you know i think 7th grade i just finished 7th grade and now in hindsight i realized roy had me in the top bunk because he knew that i was an idiot and he knew he needed to keep a close eye on me so uh, in hindsight i recognized that well one night one of my friends and i we said listen let's run to the other cabin we'll rip open the door and again you're in middle school so please forgive the maturity level here but we had these stink bombs and we'll throw them in there now also, in hindsight, no junior high cabin needs more stink bumps, okay? Uh, it's ju- Sorry, junior hires, but that's just the way it rolls, uh, especially boys. And so, you know, didn't recognize that at the time. So these little cabins close to each other like this little kind of western town set up and so... I remember Chris and I, we ran to the door, I ripped open the door, and Chris threw those things in there, and we laughed, and we split off, because we knew if we get caught by the camp director, who we called Sergeant Slaughter, that we were going to be in deep trouble, and so so we just, we split off, and so I'm running, and I'll never forget it the rest of my life, I'm running in between these cabins, so I'm weaving back and forth, I'm trying to get back to my cabin without getting caught, and and sentenced to solitary confinement or whatever the punish might have been. And all of a sudden, I'm running in the dark, and wham! And I'm laying on my back. And I'm like, I don't don't know what just happened, but I just hit something that is not moving. So I'm laying there, and I'm getting my bearings, and I open my eyes, and I look. And no exaggeration, the clouds moved, and there was the moon illuminating an air conditioning unit. I just want you to know, those do not move. <laughs> now, if that happened now, just put some dirt on top of me. It's game over, right? I, but at seventh grade, you're, you're pretty springy, but I was not. Man, I ran right into that thing, fell on the ground, and thought, what just happened? So I stumbled back around the corner in my cabin. I probably looked very dazed at what just happened, but I had gotten my clock cleaned by an air conditioning unit. And the little bit of light from the moon illuminate, illuminated what had stopped me in my tracks. We all understand this idea of darkness, confusion, stumbling. We all understand the idea of darkness and the deeds that are done in the dark. But here's the beautiful thing, and I want you to leave John and go to the book of First Peter. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible I often quote it, First Peter chapter 2, and if you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you, you can download one or the River Church app, we've got a lot more Bible to go, so I always enjoy and appreciate you seeing that for yourself, First Peter chapter 2. In verse number 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Here is the reality. You and I once walked in darkness, confused, enslaved to sin, and we loved darkness. But God, in his kindness, called us one day. And the Bible says here that he called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Psalm 18 says this, For it is you who light my lamp, the Lord my God lightens my darkness. And so Jesus, who is the light of the world, not just came into the world 2,000 years to go to pay the penalty for our sin and to rise from the dead, but Jesus stepped into our situation. And so that's why when we begin our gathering, we sing to Jesus. That's why we come to the end of our gathering, we sing to Jesus, because if you're sitting here and you know Christ, you were once in darkness, you were stumbling around, you were confused, you were directionless, you were hopeless, and Jesus called you by name. And he rescued you from sin. He rescued you from a hopeless, meaningless life. And he, he set your feet on a rock and he gave you direction. And he turned on the light and he illuminated truth in your soul. And that's why we exalt Christ. And maybe you're here and you don't have that moment. Maybe as I say those things, you think, man, I still feel like I'm in the dark. I still feel like, what is my purpose? What, what, is, what is this scripture thing about? What is the gospel about? I, I don't understand this. And here's the truth, Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross for your sin. Our violation against God, our, our, our violation against God's holy standards and God placed our punishment on Christ. Christ died for our sins, the Bible says, that he was buried according to the Scripture. And then the Bible says three days later, he rose from the dead. And the good news is that right here, right now, with your eyes open or your eyes closed or sitting or standing or kneeling, the, the exterior posture doesn't matter. But right here and right now, you can call out to God. And the Bible says if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Because here's the reality, we are born into darkness and we live in darkness and hell itself, the the ultimate judgment of God, separation from God, is called outer darkness. That's the world we live in. And we need to remember that is the world that Christ has called us out of. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, Christ has lighted us, and of course this is 1800s language in Great Britain, in London. But Spurgeon says, Christ has lighted us that we may enlighten the world. That's why Jesus looks at his followers and he says, you are the light of the world. You. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. First Thessalonians says this. For you are the children of light, children of the day. Colossians 1.12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Light. So Jesus, let's go back to Matthew 5 now. Jesus looks at us, he looks at his followers, he looks at his disciples, his students, and he says, you, verse 13, you're the salt of the earth, now in verse 14, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. I want you to see these two images here that Jesus is going to use, because one is very public, and one is very personal. I wouldn't go so far as to say private but one is more personal. Jesus says, You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the city set on a hill is very public. If you've ever traveled to different places, whether in the United States or in uh, different parts of the world, maybe you'll see in the distance a city that is elevated and it's lit. It, it's hard not to see it. It's hard not to see it in the distance. It's, it's elevated and, and you can see it bright in the, in the darkness around it. And so Jesus likens his followers to a city. And I love this idea Uh, of what one commentator said, it's the combined impact of many lights. And so here we are collectively as as the city set on a hill. The light of the world, a very visible, okay, there it is right there. I can see because of that. I, I know where to go because of that light. But there's also a personal, or some would say a private, aspect to it. So there's the big city on a hill, But then Jesus talks about a light in a home. Verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. This is, Jesus is using like a really silly, extreme illustration here. Not silly in a dumb sense, but he's trying to make a point here. He's like, imagine if you were to light a lamp and then put a basket over top of it. It wouldn't make any sense. Why would you have lit the lamp in the first place if you didn't want the light? I think about a lamp maybe in your house. You walk in, and obviously our lamps are not uh, burning uh, you know, fuel or gas or oil or something like that. You go over, and you, you tap it, or you, you turn it on, or there's a light switch. Imagine turning that lamp on and then being like, yep, and going and finding the thickest blanket you possibly had, throwing it over the lamp. Essentially turning off the lights again and saying, okay, that's what I wanted to do. Even some of your expressions on your face right now are like, I don't even understand. That's the point Jesus is making. Imagine lighting a lamp and then putting it under a basket. So we have the image of a well lit city, which is public, very public, collective, and then we have a lamp in a room. So Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Before others. Now, how does that happen? I want to kind of just put pieces together and kind of go back and, and see it. So in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Your good works. So last week we looked at the idea of being salt. Salt has to be you know, on the meat or it has to be on something to preserve it. We are salt in this world, preserving the world from absolute moral decay. Here's what now Jesus is gonna say. You are the light of the world. You are illuminating the world. You have a responsibility to illuminate like a city set on a hill but you also have the responsibility that in every room you step in you're the light meaning you're the light in your family you're the light in your community you're the light in your workplace you're you're the light You're you're a city set on a hill, collectively, a bunch of lights together, but you're also individually, God has placed you uniquely in your family, whether it's your family of origin or whether that's your extended family. God has placed you as a light to illuminate. What does light do? Light contrasts with darkness. And so what Jesus is saying, you're the light of the world. I, I have made you the light of the world because Jesus said, I'm the light of the world and I have... I have passed that light, right? The light is in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so that light is going to contrast with the dark. That's going to be distinct. And so you're the light in your family. You're the light, again, in your workplace, in your school, in your community. Why, then, are some of you covering it up, concealing it? It's similar to the idea if you go back to Matthew 5.13. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall the saltiness be restored? It's diluted. Meaning, if you have repented of your sins and believed in Jesus, you are the light of the world. You have a super important, God-giving, God-given, ordained purpose in your family, in your workplace, in your school, on your campus. In your life, in your circle of friends, to be the light of the world. Because people are stumbling around in darkness. Well, how do you shine the light? The Bible says here we shine the light like a city, like a lamp, through our good works. The word there for works in the Greek literally means winsome, beautiful, and attractive. That's how William Barclay describes it. It's winsome, beautiful, and attractive good works. So people see the works, people see. And we can just take this passage of scripture. They see the Beatitudes lived out in your life. They see your acts of mercy. They see uh, you, you being a humble. They see you mourning. They see your peacemaking activity. They see you committed to truth in the midst of persecution. They see those things. And this is what the Bible says. That shines like a light in darkness. This, uh, this last Thursday, uh, my schedule got jumbled up a little bit, and so I was, I was uh, scheduled to be in two places at one time. And I have not mastered that. If you have, please let me know how to do that. But I have not mastered how to be in two places at one time, and so I was juggling my schedule around. So I was scheduled to speak on Thursday at our pastor's academy. And so we have uh, about 14 or 15 men in our church who are pursuing and or discerning a call to pastoral ministry, and so we have uh, a, a, an academy for them to help train them for that, and so I was scheduled to speak there on, on Thursday night from 6 o'clock to 8.30, and, and then I was also scheduled to host about 30 young adults at my house from 7 to question mark, by the way, young adults, my goodness, I love each of them. On Thursday night, I gave up at 10.30 and went to bed. I was an old man. They were there until after midnight. I'm like, see you later, everybody, right? So, uh, so I ran to Pastor's Academy at 6 o'clock, and I said, guys, I got 90 minutes to teach you. And I'm going to turn it over to Doc. 90 minutes taught them, and I said, I got to go. If I'm not home by 8, my wife is going to kill me. And so I ran home, and I, I came home, and the, the road was lined with cars, and so I came to the house and the bonfire was going and there was about 30 young adults there. It was awesome. It was so great to hang out with some of them and hear some of their stories. And I, I was sitting next to the fire and, and uh, there was a, a young lady sitting there with a, a kid that she's dating. And so I said, hi, I don't know if I know you. And I said, what's your story? And so she started, started telling me a story about how she came to know Christ. And she said, my, my parents are not followers of Christ. And, and she said, I said, okay, so what's your story? She said, I remember I had a cousin and a friend in school that were Christians. I knew they were Christians. She said, I, I, I didn't know what that meant, but I just saw the way they acted. I saw the way my cousin acted, and I saw the way this girl in school acted. And so when COVID hit, she said, I reached out to this young lady, and I said, can we start doing a Bible study together? And she, she said, it was through that that I came to know Christ And uh, it was just incredible. She said, I got baptized out at the Rock, which is a great church out in Fenton, and a good buddy of mine is a pastor there. And I said, that's just awesome. I said, it was because of this, this cousin and because of this friend. She's like, yeah. She's like, I just sat there and thought, that's incredible. I think about a guy in our church years ago who shared a story with me of a kid in middle school who leaned over and said, hey, do you know Christ? Middle school. I mean, think about it. And again, I, this is going to be twice now, insulting middle schoolers, so if you, you can lodge a formal complaint. I'll be there afterwards, right? But you think about that. How articulate are any of us in middle school? It, it wasn't like Billy Graham was sitting in the middle school class. It's just a middle school young man who's like, hey, do you, do you know Christ? Do you, do you know if you were to die today, you'd spend eternity with God in heaven? Do you know? Are you saved? Are your sins forgiven? And... The young man said, I I don't know. And the guy said, I'll talk to you afterwards. Yeah, let's do that. Sometimes I I think we, we think God expects us to be Billy Graham or some super articulate evangelist. Jesus looks at you and he looks at me and says, you're the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. What a, what a beautiful, bold, exciting vision there. You're you're the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. You're like a basket, not just the the, the big splash, but in person, in one-on-one, in individual conversations, in a room with your family or your friends, or at holidays, or in the office, or at the shop. You're the light of the world. Why are some of you putting a basket over that? Here's what Jesus says, I mean, in the same way that a city lights up the sky, or in the same way a, a, a lamp lights up a room, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works. What Jesus is talking about is winsome, beautiful, attractive works that people see. Hold your spot in Matthew and go to the right. Go to the book of James. James. James chapter number 2. James chapter number two, and I want to begin in verse 14 because I want you to see what James is getting at here. And I've pointed this out before, but I think it it bears mentioning again. Anytime you read the Sermon on the Mount, so anytime you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, read James along with it. It's a a short book. Matter of fact, it was in my personal reading this morning. So I read the book of James this morning, take you just a handful of minutes but the book of James is kind of a, a Bible commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. There's, there's dozens and dozens of connections. But look at verse 14. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body... What good is that? So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. James responds, okay. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So here is this balance. Here is this way that faith and works relate together. Works do not save us. No one can do anything to earn their way into heaven. No one can earn or or do enough good deeds to earn God's forgiveness or entry into eternal life. But a person who has come to know Christ, has repented of their sins and believed in Jesus, will get to work. Will get to work. Because if you have faith, but there's no works... Guess what you really don't have? Faith. That's why the idea of faith being, and I hear this more and more in today's society and from some Christians, well, faith is a private matter. No, it is not. Now, it is in one way, but someone saying faith is just a private matter, that's false. So is faith public or is faith private? Well, the answer is yes. Faith that is private will become public. I've read this a couple times over the last few weeks in different sources. And the author, to me at least at this point, is unknown. But it says, there can be no such thing as secret discipleship, or I would say secret faith. For either the secrecy destroys the discipleship, Or the discipleship destroys the secrecy. Meaning there are no undercover Christians. Jesus said it's like a city on a hill. Who's going to hide that? It's like a lamp in a room. Who's going to conceal that? When we were kids, at least in Sunday school, maybe in catechism, different things, you went through, we would sing the song, This Little Light of Mine, right? And we'd say, Hide it under a bushel. At the time, I had no idea what a bushel was, but I knew that the word no came after that, right? That's, that's all that I really knew. That song, a silly little song, is, is the idea there in Matthew chapter number five. This little light of mine, it's not much, but if collectively we put our lights together, it's like a city on a hill. Well, we're not always going to be together, so sometimes I'm just a light in a room, and I'm the only light there. And my responsibility and your responsibility in those situations is to be the light of the gospel. Well, how do you do that? Well, bring a pulpit with you, bring a large family Bible, and start preaching to people. That's what Jesus means. No. What does Jesus mean here? Jesus says, you're going to shine the light by your character, a holy life. You're going to shine the light by loving one another. First John says it this way in 1 John 2, 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And so that light is going to be a holy life. It's going to be love and care and compassion for other Christians and other people. But it is going to be through, again, winsome, beautiful, attractive, good deeds. James says it there in James chapter 2, you have faith, that's great. How do you show your faith? You show your faith through works, good works, through action, through deeds. You can leave James and go to the left and go to Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 14. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 14. The Bible says, do all things without grumbling and disputing. Don't whine about going to work. And don't go there to dispute. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights In the world, meaning, if you are a complainer about everything, you have put a basket over the light of the gospel. If someone knows they can come to you and hear the worst about everything at everyone at the office, you're putting a basket over the lamp of the gospel in your life. To our high school students, if you're constantly belittling your teachers and coaches, you are putting a basket over the light of the gospel. Now, does that mean your coaches or your teachers are perfect? Of course not. But the main thing is the gospel. The main thing is the good news of Jesus Christ. The problem is so many of us are filled with grumbling and disputing. We want to argue and we want to bicker about all of these secondary things that we are not living in this crooked and twisted generation, which we all would acknowledge we live in a crooked and twisted generation, that the contrast needs to be Christ in us so that we are shining as lights in this world. How do we do that? We get to work. We get to work. I was just thinking about it. I was thinking about the next few months for us as a church. And I was thinking about just some things that are going to be happening in the next few weeks. In the next few weeks, we have a lot of different things going on as a church. One of the things we're going to do is we are going to go to the jail on Thanksgiving Day. We're going to take a team of about 35 people there And we're going to make a Thanksgiving meal for about 600-plus inmates at the Genesee County Jail. We're going to ask the church to contribute to that, participate in cooking turkeys and all those things. And we're going to take homemade pies to every deputy and staff member at the Genesee County Jail on Thanksgiving. We have teams that are going to go in and, and share the gospel and pray and encourage and Try to be a blessing to 600-plus men and women there. You know what that is? That's you are the light of the world. Now, if I could be really honest with you, and some of you might be annoyed with what I'm going to say to you, so please forgive me. I don't want to do that on Thanksgiving. That's my favorite holiday. Right? I don't want to do that on Thanksgiving. I want to go to Frankenmuth with my kids and eat fudge and toffee and noodles, and chicken, and more fudge, and more toffee, and then taffy, right? That's what I want to do. But when I think about what Jesus is looking at me and saying, Josh, you're the light of the world. You're you're the light of the world. And what does that light have to do? That light has to go into the darkness. So how do we go shine the light in the darkness? We... Go and we do good deeds, like a city set on a hill. Now, we do not do good deeds so people will go, wow, you're awesome. Amen. But we do good deeds because we want to, as we'll see in a moment, draw people to the glory of God. But I was thinking about Thanksgiving at the jail. I thought about in a couple of weeks we have what we, in two spots, we're going to do a single mom's and widow's oil change. I mean, If you're a single mom or you're a widow or you know a widow or a single mom, we have teams of guys that are going to be working in a couple different spots to change their oil and maybe do some small mechanical repairs on cars just to, just to care for single moms and widows free this christmas we partner with an organization called angel tree and we provide christmas to children whose parents are incarcerated That that was just three things that I came up with as I was thinking about what what we're going to be doing and busying ourselves with. Those, Those are just three things collectively we're going to do. But I think, man, what is God calling you to do? Like, what's God moving in your heart to do? Like, what good deeds, because Christ is in you, because you are the light of the world, back to Matthew 5 now. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. What activity is God calling you to do? You see, because the light of the gospel in us, plus a holy life filled with good works, does this, verse 16, it gives glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, this is the idea. Jesus says, you're the light of the world. I need you to go into the world and be salt. I need you to go into the world and be light because the world is very dark. And so you can't just collect, you know, collect together. Yeah, you're going to do that. You're going to be like a city on a hill. But once in a while, man, you're going to spread out and you're going to go into some really dark situations, into some dark places. You're going to go into some places where there's spiritual confusion, where people can't see reality or people can't see the truth of the gospel and I'm sending you into those places and I need you not to just stand there silently but I need you to get to work looking to act out mercy and I need you to be humble and I need you to do those different things so that people will be drawn to the glory of the father who is in heaven I love this quote from D.A. Carson He talks about Christians hiding the light and he says such Christians, right, who who embrace being the light, such Christians refuse to rob their employers by being lazy on the job or to rob their employees by succumbing to greed and stinginess. Those Christians, they are first to help a colleague in difficulty and last to return a barbed reply. They honestly desire the advancement of the other's interest and honestly, I love this, honestly dislike dirty humor. They're transparent in their honesty and genuine in their concern, meek in personal demeanor. They are bold in righteous pursuits. Here's why. Because we want God to get the glory. We want people to see the Lord in us. And so we, we just, we want to go into the world as a light and people are going to be drawn to us and we're going to say, no, it is Christ. He has made the difference. He is the light of the world. And the problem is so many of us are bogged down with bickering and grumbling and complaining and fighting and sometimes we're bogged down by silence. I think about something, when's, when's the last time we served Just just serve someone. With the hope that God would get the glory. That people would see their heavenly father. Leon Morris points out that this is the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that father is used It's going to be used, he points out, another 44 times in the gospel. And I love this note from him. He says, the divine fatherhood meant much to Matthew. The more I grow in my walk with Christ, the more the divine fatherhood means much to me. That Christ would step into the darkness of my soul and he would love me. And he would lay down his life for me and he would adopt me into his family and he would bring me from darkness to his marvelous light. Man, I want people to experience that same thing. And so Jesus looks at us and he says, you're the light of the world. How people are going to be drawn to the heavenly father is drawn because you're going to embrace being a city on a hill. You're going to embrace being a lamp in in personal, private, one-on-one conversation or in small settings, and you're going to do that in the same way. Your light will shine before others, and the way they'll see that is they'll see your good works, and that will draw them to the Father who is in heaven. I want you to turn back. Maybe for me, it's just just a page. Maybe for you it's a little bit more. Matthew chapter 4. This is the second time that Matthew will use this illustration of light and darkness. Matthew 4.12. So I want you to just see this, maybe the order here. Matthew 3 is Jesus' announcement by his relative, we think maybe a cousin, John the Baptist. And then Matthew chapter 4, the beginning there, is Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And then Jesus begins his ministry, verse 12. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went up and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. So this is what Jesus is busy doing. This, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you know what Jesus began preaching? He began preaching the gospel. Turn from sin and turn to Christ. Turn from sin and turn, because the kingdom of heaven is here. The king is here. And it's likened there, Matthew quotes Isaiah there was darkness. People were living in darkness. But they have been blessed to see a great light. And they're dwelling in the shadow of death. But a light like the sun coming up has dawned. Guess what? When you came to know Christ, Christ came to live in you. And so Christ in us, the light of the world, we are not meant to put a basket over that. We are led to meant we, we to to let Christ shine in the way that we live in the the way we interact at work and the way we interact with family and the way we interact with friends so people see us just like that little girl this week. I know she's not a little girl, but she's a little girl to me. She just said, I saw those friends. I saw that friend and I saw that cousin and I knew I want what they have. And I wonder sometimes, do people look at us and go, man, I want what they have. Like, I see the way he responds. I see the way she cares. I see the way they serve people. That something is different about them. And that is our opportunity to say, oh, no, it's not me. It is Christ. It is my heavenly Father who has transformed me, who loves me, and who loves you. And so it's our opportunity to draw people and point people to the gospel, to salvation. You ever wonder, just here, let's start here. You ever wonder what people walk in and see here? Maybe this is your first time. Like maybe this is your first time walking in the building. I would love if you would. I'll be right over here to the right after the gathering. If you would just come tell me, I'm just, just be curious. But I wonder, like, do people come in and do they see um, people who love one another? Do they see people who care? They see people who are not putting on a show. I wonder in our lives, do they see us as self absorbed, self serving? Or do they see us as men and women who are looking to go into the darkness of this world and shine the light of the gospel? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for calling us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And God, I pray that you would use us God, I pray that our faith would not just be a personal, private matter with you, but our faith would go public through our good deeds. God, that we would do those things not out of ego or a show or to check some legalistic box, but God, we would do those things because we want people to be drawn to you. God, we want to be salt and light in this world. And some of us, God, have been covering up that light with a basket. It's, it just seems preposterous. And God, I pray that we would just let our light shine. Lord, we want to exalt you. So thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen.